Oh, I just had to look at Gary and say, do I go up? I wasn't sure if he was going to introduce me or not. Uh, if you don't know me, my name's Matt. And um, I was a pastor here for uh, nearly eight years. And uh, I am incredibly humbled and grateful to have the opportunity to get to be with you all this morning. Thank you, Gary, for the opportunity. Uh, I, have to, I just have to say to begin... Uh, I love how God works. Like, could you have imagined that you would be so blessed to have this man as your pastor? Uh, There's just one example of this that I saw already this morning. Uh, When I was on staff here, there were board members who went to Karen Mace and Christine Lenahan and said, will you join the board? And they said, no. (laughs) Like, Gary brings the thunder, man. Like, now they're going to go on the board. So... There you go. Uh, this is Cora. Cora's going to join me this morning. She's going to read for me. Uh, I'd like to pray, and then we'll jump in. God, thank you for your presence here. Thank you for your love and your goodness. Thank you that you are always with us, even when we don't know it. God, as people have walked in here this morning carrying different burdens, different fears, different anxieties, different heartache, different joys and anticipations, I pray that we would know your presence in all of it. As we open the text this morning, God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand, that we might turn and experience more of your healing presence in our lives. In the name of Jesus, everyone said, Amen. Amen. So, uh, Gary has been doing this series called The Apprentice Approach, and he's been taking from what are called the lectionary texts. So all around the world this morning, uh, there are churches all around the world that are looking at uh, these same texts this morning. Psalm 15 that Jonathan read is one of them. Uh, Another two are in 1 Corinthians 1 and Matthew 5. And I want to start in 1 Corinthians 1 this morning, and then we'll move to Matthew 5. But before we get there, I, I would love to hear from you. Uh, when you, if I can have the first slide, when you think about wisdom, how, how would you define wisdom? Just in a couple of few words, how would you define wisdom? Okay, not knowledge put to practice. Yeah, good. Thanks, Paul. Yeah. Knowing how to apply all of the knowledge that you accumulate. Okay, yeah. Applied knowledge. Good. Anything else? Experience. Experience. Great. Yeah. I don't know how to say it exactly, but I think it's more than just knowledge. It sort of incorporates, more holistic, I think, incorporates emotional and 
Okay, a holistic way of being, emotional, spiritual, psychological, all of, all of it, yeah. Knowledge with belief and faith in it. Knowledge with belief and faith in it, good. Yeah. Seeing life from God's point of view. Seeing life from God's point of view, great. Uh, at first, when there was a pause and no one was saying anything, I was thinking, well, there's wisdom. <laughs> Silence. <laughs> Let me contemplate that for a moment before. Uh, slow to speak, perhaps. Um, in, the, in the ancient tradition, wisdom is personified as a woman. And if I can have the next slide, in Proverbs... Out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On top of the wall, she cries out. So throughout the Proverbs, the author uh, refers to wisdom as a woman and that she is all around us. She is always calling out. So, so I would say, next slide, uh, wisdom is all around you. Whether you recognize it or not, Wisdom is always present to us. And we can see it or not see it. We can choose to live into it or not live into it. And so Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, he's writing this letter to a small group of people in the city of Corinth in Asia Minor. And he opens the letter talking about Wisdom, And he's contrasting uh, th this idea of what the world sees as wisdom and what he will describe as wisdom. Go ahead, Cora. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Okay, so he, he begins, or near the beginning of the letter, he says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who who are being saved, it is what? The power of God. The power of God. Now, these are present tense words he's using. So he's not talking about some type of future thing, those who will perish or those who will be saved. But right now, this experience of choosing a way of life that leads to destruction or choosing a way of life that is the road of wisdom, that hears her all around us and follows that path, that way of being. This is what Paul is talking about, that wisdom is all around us. Now, uh, I want to show you a text in Matthew right now that we will loop back to at the end. Jesus says, at the end of a very lengthy teaching, Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So Jesus is saying that wisdom looks like hearing, being willing to hear, truly listening, and digesting that which he teaches. And what? Puts it into practice. This is what Jesus says wisdom looks like. Now, in 1 Corinthians, there is some context around what Paul is talking about when he talks about wisdom. If I can have the next slide. One more, sorry. A little further, he says, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness 
to Gentiles. So Paul is talking about, hey, there's, there's these different ways of viewing reality. And the way of Jesus, the way of the cross, just looks like foolishness to the world. For Jews, it's a stumbling block because they could never believe that the Messiah would come and die. Why would God send the Messiah to die. This is a stumbling block for the Jews, he says. And, and for the Greeks, who are uh, all about rational thinking and logic, th- this is foolishness. Like th- this is ridiculous that wisdom would look like dying on a cross, that the way of the cross would actually be the way of wisdom. And so there's some different uh, ideas out there, the ideas from the Jews, the ideas from the, the Greeks. Uh, prior to this... There's also some different ideas going on, and they're going on in the church at Corinth. And he addresses this right away early in the letter, and then he'll address it later in chapter 3. So early in the letter, this is what he says. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. And so Paul is saying, he's addressing some infighting going on in the church at Corinth, that one person says, well, Paul, he's so smart, he's so brilliant, he's got so many great ideas, I just love listening to Paul. And another person says, well, yeah, but Apollos. Apollos brings it, man. That guy knows how to preach. I prefer Apollos. Another person says, oh, but Cephas. Cephas is all heart. He just brings us straight. I love listening to Cephas. He's so authentic. He's so amazing to listen to. And then the, the, real, the, the Bible thumper's like, well, I just follow Christ. <laughs> I, I think Paul's saying, added the I follow Christ kind of tongue-in-cheek. Like, well, there's always the guy who's like, well, I just read the Bible. I don't read any other books. I only read the Bible. I just follow Christ. Now, uh, I know this is really really foreign to us. We, we can't imagine like people arguing over who's the greatest or who's the best. We can't imagine you know, infighting, but just bear with me for a moment here. Uh, what Paul is getting at is this issue of tribalism. Uh, and I know this is really foreign to us. There, like Nothing in our culture would talk about tribalism, right? There, no Senate hearings or anything like that. Um, but uh, the, this is what Paul is getting at. Like this, this need to be right or the, this need to win the argument. Uh, and Paul is getting after this issue of that tribalism simply isn't helpful if we want to engage this path that Jesus invites us into. Now, Not all tribalism is bad, right? I mean, look at that shirt. That's tribalism right there. This is not all bad, is it? This is fun tribalism, right? Like, we have our team. We know who we're rooting for. Like, this this is the fun kind of tribalism. And so there there is a sense in which we belong to a tribe. Like, we, we all... Like, I love, Gary says, welcome home. This is your family. This is a tribe. This is beautiful tribalism. But when it becomes, I'm right, you're wrong. When it becomes this, I follow Paul, I follow Paulus, I follow Cephas. Or, or when it becomes, well, uh, 
thank God we're not like the Methodists down the street or the Baptists down that street or the Protestants or the cat. When it becomes things like that, Paul is saying this simply is not helpful to the way of Jesus. There is a different way of being. And this need to be right isn't helpful. And he'll uh, give an exclamation point to this as he continues in 1 Corinthians following uh, in verse, what verse are we on? 26. 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things are, that are not to nullify the things that are. Okay. So Paul's saying, listen... The way God works is so different than the way we often work. Like if we want to see a movement actually move forward, we're, we're going to choose powerful and bold leaders to make that happen, right? Uh, Paul says, God so often chooses the weak to shame the strong. God chooses those who are nobodies to shame the wise. And if you read through the biblical narrative, you, you see this play out. Uh, God calls this guy named Abram out of Ur of the Chaldee. Who, who is Abram? He was a nobody, and God says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Uh, God takes this guy named Moses, who was condemned to die. The Pharaoh of the time had said, all Hebrew baby boys are to be killed. And this kid who should have died ends up being raised in Pharaoh's house. Later needs to run off because he's wanted for murder. And what does God do? He says, you're the one I'm going to use to free my people. When uh, Saul fails as king and God tells Samuel, we're going to anoint a new king and go to Jesse's household and I will show you who will be king. And, and uh, uh, Samuel goes to Jesse's household, and he sees Jesse's oldest son, and he says, that's clearly the next king. Look at this guy. He's a leader. And God says, no. And every one of Jesse's sons, right down the line, no, 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 no. And Samuel's confused, and he looks at Jesse, and he says, do you have any other sons? And Jesse says, well, yeah, the runt. David, he's out tending the sheep. Hey, you want me to bring him in? Yes. David comes in, God says, that's, that's the next king of Israel. Anoints him. Um, think about Frodo and the hobbits. Just making sure you're listening. It's not in the Bible. Uh, fast forward to, to Mary. God chooses Mary to be the mother of the Son of God. Think about the people uh, that follow Jesus, that Jesus invited to follow him. Fishermen. Uh, uh, despised tax collector, zealots. These are the type of people that went on to change the world. God says, I I use the weak to shame the strong. Uh, This is the way Jesus invites us into a, a way of being, into a way of living, this path of wisdom.
so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Okay. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. This invitation to live with the mind of Christ, a Christ consciousness that no one may boast. That we recognize that this life is about something so much bigger than ourselves. That it's not just about us. But that there is a way of being in the world that brings healing to the world. That brings hope to the world. That is different than the so-called wisdom of the world. So Paul talks about wisdom in kind of theoretical terms here. And I want to move to Matthew 5 where Jesus kind of tells us what it looks like in practice. And so if you want to follow along in Matthew 5, it's on page 785 of the Bible under the chair in front of you. And uh, for three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus teaches. We're just going to look at the first 12 verses here briefly this morning. But this is uh, what many would consider Jesus' primary ethical teaching. Uh, He gave this teaching and shows us the best possible way to live. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Okay. So to start with, Jesus comes onto a mountainside and begins to teach. Now, in many ways, many scholars look at Jesus and say that this moment, these opening scenes of the book of Matthew show Jesus to be a new kind of Moses. That uh, Jesus came and he went through the waters of baptism. Uh, uh, kind of a picture of Moses leading the people through the waters of, of the Red Sea. And then Jesus went out into the wilderness for 40 days. A, a picture of Moses and the Israelites being in the wilderness for 40 years. And then Jesus goes on a mountainside to teach. Uh, just as Moses went on the mountainside to receive the teachings, the law from God. And so he sits down and he begins to teach his followers, saying, He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay. Uh, So these next several verses are what have come to be known as the Beatitudes. These nine Beatitudes that Jesus gives us, showing us how to posture ourselves in the world. And this first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, in Luke, Luke simply says, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Matthew adds poor in spirit here. And so whether uh, physically poor or emotionally, spiritually poor, Jesus says, you are blessed. You are blessed. Uh, has anyone ever... Uh, had someone say to you, uh, bless you, or, or have a blessed day, may you be blessed. Um, you, know, you read through the Beatitudes and you say, I don't know that I want to be blessed today. Uh, might want a different kind of blessing than the blessings Jesus is talking about here. But Jesus says, this, this is a way to posture yourself in the world. This is the way of wisdom. This is the way of the cross. The, the way of the cross simply being 
that we are invited to experience death so that we can experience life. Uh, we, we don't get the resurrection without the cross. We don't get new life without suffering. And so J- Jesus comes and shows us how to die so that we can truly live. Jesus invites us in to a place of pain and heartache so that we can see there is new life on the other side. Uh, for many of us in this room who have experienced great pain and heartache, uh, before it, we would say, I would never want to go through that. After it, we may also say, I wish I didn't have to go through that, but I am a different person today because of it. There is something that is changed and transformed in my life because of that pain. Uh, somehow, the mystery of wisdom, the mystery of the cross, the mystery of the universe is that suffering and pain can and does change us to become more of the people we're created to be. This is the invitation that Jesus offers us to, to experience it deeply so that we can become the people God created us to be. The, the next beatitude reveals that as well. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Okay. Blessed are those who mourn. May you have a blessed day today. May you mourn. Because you will be comforted. Uh, when we actually enter into our pain, when we enter into our grief, and we truly mourn, we experience comfort. We don't like it. We go into it kicking and screaming. But it changes, changes us. Uh, notice what Ken Wilber says. He says, next slide, practice the wound of love. Real love hurts. Real love makes you totally vulnerable and open. Real love will take you far beyond yourself, and therefore real love will devastate you. But when we truly practice love, it will hurt, won't it? Real love will bring us pain. It will devastate us. And yet it can also bring comfort and joy immeasurable. Uh, so I would, I would simply say this, next slide. Uh, do not squander your wounds. Many of us try to jump past, jump over, go around the pain rather than through it. Now, I know there's a difference between if uh, you, you've met someone who uh, has experienced wounding in ways that, that were devastating. Uh, there is a difference between entering into that for the sake of being transformed and, and seeing hope on the other side and, and sitting in it in a way that uh, you're always the victim, isn't there? So when I say do not squander your wounds, I'm, I'm not saying sit in the victim chair. I'm simply saying uh, do not go around it, do not hop over it, do not try to avoid it. 
Because when we enter into the pain, when we truly mourn, is when we begin to heal and experience comfort. Um, now, this, uh, a week ago this morning, most everyone in the room probably knows there was a devastating helicopter crash, which took the life of Kobe and Gianna Bryant and seven other people on that helicopter crash. Absolutely devastating. Uh, something that I have found just... That, that has brought me comfort, I think, in, in a culture that largely for years and years and years has avoided grief, has avoided pain, uh, where especially uh, boys were raised to not cry, uh, to see huge, massive, athletic men like LeBron James and like uh, Shaquille O'Neal weep and in tears uh, has brought me hope that there is a cultural shift that says not only is it okay to be a man and cry, not, not only is it okay to grieve and be sad, but it is healthy and necessary and needed if we are going to be healthy people moving forward. We must embrace the pain step into the pain, experience the pain in order to come out people who are more whole and healthy and healed to bring that to those we encounter. Uh, Rilke says this, none ought ever love their suffering, but no one ever loves without its pain. And as we die, we come to wondering if there was something we could not yet see that winged thing that merges with earth's suffering to make us what we otherwise would never be. That if we had not experienced the pain, if we had not allowed ourselves to enter into it and wrestle with it, that there is something on the other side that we could never imagine, that God is shaping and forming in us to become more and more the people God intends us to be. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You know, uh, the earth has wisdom built right into it, doesn't it? Uh, The earth just embraces and engages the pattern of death and resurrection, dying and rising, seed falling to the ground in order that newness of life may come forth. The earth just has wisdom built right into it. Uh, We go into it kicking and screaming. Uh, And here Jesus says that the meek will inherit the earth. Like you learn these patterns of the earth. Live well on the earth. Be gent- a more accurate translation for meek here might be gentle. Be gentle. Be gentle with the earth. Be gentle in your relationships. Um, anyone watch the Grammys? Seven people. Great. Uh, I didn't watch the Grammys, but I saw some clips. And I, my goodness, Alicia Keys, does she not just embody grace and gentleness and peace and, and joy. Like she, 
everyone who won, at least the clips I saw, she was just overjoyed for that person. Just such kindness. Uh, her opening monologue, it just filled with grace and love. I, I just couldn't... Uh, you know, I, I, was, <laughs> I was a little fascinated by uh, the monologue at the Golden Globes. Um, and then when Alicia Keys gave her monologue, I was like, okay, the guy who gave the monologue at the Golden Globes, funny, witty, but biting, almost angry, uh, cynical. Um, and maybe there's a place for some of those things, but when I look at his opening monologue and then Alicia Keys, I'm like, I, I want to be like Alicia Keys. At that grace and that love and that presence uh, I, I think just made the whole night. Talk about meekness. Talk about gentleness. Uh, it, it was goodness and, and it was beautiful. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Another translation for righteousness there is uh, justice. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for justice, for that which is right. Uh, For those who recognize, when they look at the world and they recognize, things are not the way they're supposed to be. And when we long, when we passionately long for things to be the way they're supposed to be, Uh, to be in right relationship. Righteousness, justice, it's to be in right relationship with God, with others, within ourselves, with the planet we've been entrusted with. Uh, What does it look like to live out a hunger and a thirst, a passion for a right way of living in the world? Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. All right. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Uh, To embody this way of mercy. Mercy, at its core, is something that's undeserved. So this alone is the way of the cross. It is offering mercy to someone who doesn't deserve it. Just like all of us. Just like all of us. We have received God's mercy. And we are invited to offer it just the same. I wonder this, next slide, where in your life do you need mercy? Where is God inviting you to offer mercy to others and free yourself of resentment? The way of wisdom, the way of the cross is the way of mercy. Uh, Recognizing you have received it and are receiving it and recognizing you are invited to offer it to others. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Pure in heart, uh, here, we've often moralized this beatitude. At its core, this this beatitude, pure in heart, has to do with wholeness of heart, an undivided heart, that that we are uh, recognizing that we are connected to God and we are connected to all things through God. It is to be undivided, to have wholeness of heart. Of heart, And so I wonder with this one, uh, where in your life is your heart divided? In what way is God inviting you to an undivided 
apart? Where, where are you distracted? Where are you split? Where, where are you uh, divided? God is simply inviting us. Jesus here is inviting us into a way of living that is whole and undivided. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Okay. Uh, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Uh, where in your life is God inviting you to bring peace? Uh, because this, too, is the way of the cross, isn't it? To, to be a peacemaker often brings pain. Because it, it costs something. It requires something of you. And, and so for us to embody the way of peace, to be a peacemaker, is not always easy. And so Jesus invites us into a way of living that costs us something. Invites us to be a people of peace. Uh, Not a people who are right. Not a people who win the argument. uh, But a people of peace. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way that they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay. Uh, Here's a way of of thinking about this uh, for us today. Next slide. When have you done the right thing and felt like you were thrown under the bus for it? What is the good you hesitate to do knowing what it might cost? Uh, Sometimes we choose to do the right thing knowing it will cost us. Knowing it will cost us dearly. And yet we choose the right thing because this is the invitation of Jesus. Jesus chose to do the right thing. And he was nailed to a cross for it. Uh, Jesus spoke up against the religious rulers of his day. And the powers of his day, Rome and the religious leaders of his day, nailed him to a cross. It's so interesting that for us uh, who want to live into this apprentice approach, that, that want to be followers of Jesus and embody the way of Jesus, that the the central symbol of our faith has become this cross, a symbol of execution, a symbol of suffering, a symbol of death. And it's, it's simply a symbol that invites us into dying to self. It's a symbol that invites us into this way of Jesus where Jesus says that the least shall be the greatest. Uh, If you want to save your life, give your life up for me and my sake. It's an upside-down kingdom that Jesus invites us into, and it, it costs something. Sometimes we do the right thing, and it costs us for doing 
the right thing. Uh, next slide. This is Dorothy Stang. And uh, February 12th, 2005, so almost 15 years ago, uh, Dorothy Stang was murdered. She uh, was a Catholic sister who was in the Amazon and ministering in the Amazon. And a big part of uh, her ministry was working with uh, the rural poor in the Amazon. And there were rich and powerful cattle farmers who kept taking land from the rural poor, burning down the Amazon forest so that they could bring their cattle in. And Dorothy Stang was one person who stood up to these rich cattle farmers. She said, I'm, I'm going to do the right thing. We need to preserve the Amazon. We need to preserve this land that belongs to the rural poor. And the rich cattle farmers keep coming in, stealing the land, burning the forest down so they can have more cattle. And she stood up to them. And it ended up costing her her life. She was confronted by two men with guns on February 12, 2005. And when she saw them, do you know what she did? She opened her Bible to Matthew chapter 5 and started reading, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. This murder was witnessed by another man who tells this story. Dorothy Stang died reading the Beatitudes to her killers. And they shot her on sight. Uh, Sometimes doing the right thing costs us something. This, This way of being in the world, this wisdom that Paul talks about, and the putting it into practice that Jesus invites us into uh, is the way of the cross. It's an invitation to do the right thing even though we have to die to our ego often in order to do the right thing. Uh, I invite you in your own time, to continue to read through Matthew 5, 6, and 7. This is the invitation from Jesus. If you want to know what wisdom looks like, put these teachings into practice. And so Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount with these words. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. So Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, betrayed, This way of wisdom may include betrayal, uh, the way of the cross, the way of pain, the way of suffering. We don't get resurrection without the cross. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he said, this is my body given for you. Take it and eat it in remembrance of me. 
And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Take it and drink it in remembrance of me. Uh, The way of wisdom, what the way of wisdom often looks like is our bodies broken and our blood poured out for the sake of the world. Uh, Jesus' body was broken and his blood poured out for the sake of the world. Jesus came and showed us how to suffer. Jesus came and showed us what wisdom looks like on a cross. Uh, Where is Jesus inviting you to be broken and poured out for the sake of the world? Because I promise you this, when we are broken and poured out on behalf of others, we are always comforted, we are always filled back up. The promise is always leading us to hope and healing and goodness and love. The the true, mysterious way of wisdom, which is the way of the cross, leads us to the gift of new life. Uh, This morning when you come, I invite you to come and take a piece of bread and dip it in this cup and receive wisdom from Christ. Uh, When you come, simply want to ask you to search your own heart and ask God, where are you inviting me into the way of wisdom? What is your wisdom telling me today? Where are you inviting me to be broken and poured out for the sake of the world? God, as, as we come this morning and partake of the bread and the cup, I pray that you'll meet us in this place that we'll experience your goodness, your wonder, your wisdom, your love. God, for those who are truly mourning this morning, deeply grieving, I pray that they would experience your comfort. Pray that we would experience being children of God, that we'd experience your kingdom right here on earth. God, we offer ourselves to you today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. So as you go today, may you be blessed. May you be poor in spirit and know that the kingdom is yours. May you truly mourn and grieve well, knowing that you will be comforted. May you be gentle and inherit the earth. May you hunger and thirst for right living, for righteousness, for justice, and may you be filled. May you be merciful and know that you have and are receiving mercy. May you be of undivided heart. And may you see God everywhere. May you be a peacemaker today and always. And may you know that you are a child of God. And when you are persecuted, when you do the right thing and it costs you something, may you know 
that wisdom is yours from God. The kingdom belongs to you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance toward you and give you shalom. The very peace of Jesus that surpasses all understanding. Grace and peace and love be yours in abundance today and always. Amen.